You know, there are some great mysteries that you and I will never comprehend. We're just not going to be able to do so. There are some things that God alone knows. For instance, God alone knows how the soul comes into the body. He knows how the body is fashioned. He understands all of those things, but we don't. This has to remain with him, and it will continue to remain with him. You know, we don't know how sinners are regenerated. We talk about a soul being saved, but the truth is we don't really understand how it gets done. It's God's side. We can read and we can try to understand, just technically speaking, what God says about it, but the truth is he alone knows how it really takes place and how it gets done. We don't know how the Spirit of God works upon the mind of a person. Oh, we see examples of it. We may even have some examples in our own lives, but we don't quite understand it. We can't wrap our mind around it. We can't really understand it to the degree that we would like at times. We don't understand how the Spirit of God transforms the sinner into a saint. How does that happen? How do we go from being a sinner to a saint? And you say, well, by the blood of Jesus Christ, of course. However, how does it get done? Man, only God really understands some of these things. You know, we, we just don't know some things. And there are some who know too much already, or at least they believe they know too much. They think they've got the answers. They think they understand life. They think they know God. They think they understand what things are about and how they work and the technical or maybe even just the, the practical way in which things transpire and take place. But the fact is, is that more than knowing things, we have to believe and we have to love. Too many times we are focused on trying to know things, but it would be better just to believe the things God tells us to believe. It would be better to just simply love as God tells us to love. So we fight, we war, we strive to know things. Isn't it funny sometimes how we'll say, you know, I just want to know why I have to do this. Listen, I have no problem figuring out the whys. I think it's important that we express to young people why we have standards and why we have certain doctrines we believe in, why we believe the Word of God is the Word of God. I think it's important that they understand the whys, but there are times when the Bible's clear on what we're to do that we simply believe what God's Word says, and we simply do it. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we just loved God more? If we just trusted God more? If we did that, many more might get to heaven. Many more might get to heaven if they knew a little less about some things and simply would trust Him. Our passage <clears throat> reminds us that you and I are really unable to comprehend certain things. That we can search the world over for answers and we'll not necessarily find them all. That there are some things, especially about God, that we're just not going to understand this side of heaven. We're not able to understand God's ways. Why, God, why did you let that happen? Or why did you permit this in my life? The fact is, is we may never know this side of heaven. And there are just some things about God we can't know, nor does God want us to know. We must simply believe and love Him. 
I want to share three simple reasons why I believe we cannot comprehend God's ways. Just three simple reasons why you and I cannot comprehend God's ways. And so let's take just a moment, we'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll consider those three things. Father in heaven, we do ask that you would speak to our hearts through the word of God, and may you bless each and every one that's present. May our hearts be attentive and open. We thank you again for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the shed blood and for the privilege of being a part of your family and being indwelt by the person of the Holy Ghost. Tonight I ask that, Lord, again, you'd walk these aisles, that you'd speak to our hearts, that you'd do a mighty work in our lives. We are just clay, simply dust. Dust that you breathed into our nostrils, the breath of life, and now we are living souls. We want to please you with our lives. We want to honor you with our lips. And help us tonight to understand there are just some things that we're never going to understand. Your ways are one of them. We simply need to trust you, believe in you, and just love you. Help us. We need you tonight. In Christ's name, amen. First of all, the reason we can't understand God's ways, I believe, is because God is bigger than man. God is bigger than man. I think it's important that we never get to the place where we try to muscle God. You know, years ago, and I, I've told the story uh, before, and it wasn't, I don't think, that awfully long I used it, but I remember wrestling, and I spent a lot of time working out between my ninth and 10th grade year. I, I was one of those guys that I thought, you know, if I just get big enough and strong enough, I'll be able to throw people around on the mat, you know. I'll be able to, sub, I'll be able to Im, impose my will on them. Boy, I tell you what, I got to working out, and you know how it is when you're young. You know, you're lifting weights, and you're like going like that, you know, and you think you're lifting so much, but your technique is horrible. Man, I'm curling 110 pounds. You know what I mean? And so here I am working out, and, 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 and you know, it worked out pretty good overall. I mean, I had a tendency to, I'd lock up my opponents. I mean, I'd put them in a grip, and I'd just grind them in the ground, and I did my best to physically overcome and, and be victorious. But I'll tell you what, um, I met this guy that he was like a piece of steel. I'm not joking. I mean, I went to grabbing on him, and he didn't. His side didn't give, and 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 his body didn't didn't just kind of collapse when I tried to squeeze down. It was like he was a piece of iron, and I tried to impose my physical will on him. And I want you to know that before it was before long, he was throwing me on the mat. He was tossing me everywhere. He had me going up and down and sideways. He whooped me good, <clears throat> and I realized then. There's something to the stuff the coach is trying to teach me. This technique does matter. I mean, fundamentals are important. And you can't just always muscle people on the mat, so to speak. Let me tell you something. You're not going to muscle God either. You and I are not going to muscle God. Turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. There's a wrestling match in the Bible. We see Jacob here. And I understand that there's a lot more going on here than a wrestling match. But chapter 32, we just see him wrestling with God for a little while. Chapter 32, beginning in verse 24. 
Oh, I just had it. It said 32-24. There we go. All right. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Now, I want you to understand something. The person that Jacob's wrestling with is none other than the Lord. Now, I get it here. It almost appears that Jacob's winning the battle. But can I tell you something? That Jacob only wins because God lets him. I'm going to tell you something right now. He's in, a, he's in a wrestling match with the God of heaven, the creator of the universe. I promise you this, that the creature is not more powerful than the creator. There's no doubt about that. We go on to read here in the passage, and he said unto me, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with man, and hast prevailed. He prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Where is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Jacob understood something. Hey, he understood. I've seen God. I understand God let me prevail. God have permitted me to go forward. Notice he goes on and he says, and, and, and he says, and he, as he uh, let's see, and Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen the face of God and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Peniel, the sun rose upon him and he halted upon his thigh. God left him with the reminder of that wrestling match. He left him with the reminder of what had transpired and taken place. Jacob had prevailed, and Jacob had continued to the very end. But the fact is, is that God permitted it. He allowed him to prevail. And here he is now with proof positive that it was God. God's saying, listen, I don't want ever you to get uh, haughty in yourself. I don't want you to have any, any kind of pride in yourself. Every time you start thinking you're somebody, remember that thigh. I'm going to tell you something. You don't wrestle with God and win. If God's not going to, you may, you continue to prevail. Keep wrestling with God all you want. But until you come to the right answer, I promise you God's going to win. You know, we fight with God all the time. God calls us to do something or God asks us to do something. God commands us to do something. And we find ourselves in a battle with God too often. We find ourselves uh, questioning God's commands. We find ourselves saying, God, what's going on here? That's not my plan for my life. That's not what I want for myself. That's not where I see myself going. And God's saying, listen to me. I'm the one that's in charge. I'm God. I'm creator. You simply need to yield to me. You need to give yourself to me. Well, God's bigger than man. You know what? He's stronger than. He's stronger, so surrender. It's time to surrender. It's time to run the white flag up. It's time to say, whatever you want, God, is what I want for my life. Raise the white flag. He's stronger. So surrender. It's not complicated. How many of you, don't raise your hands, but how many of you have children or have had children in the home? You know how it is when you've told them to do something and they've rebelled or they just would not yield. They wouldn't submit to your authority. And maybe you say, get across the couch, or you get them across the bed, or wherever it might be, and you begin to give them a little bit of remedial training. You're trying to help give them an attitude adjustment. <clears throat> and while they're getting that adjustment, they're, they're flailing, or they're, they're fighting it, or they get angry. You've heard the difference. You know, there's that... <laughs> 
and then there's, <laughs> you ever see the difference? You ever hear it? You know, on the one hand, they're not submitting. They're actually angry. They don't appreciate what you're doing. And the other is a brokenness. There's a difference. And too many times when we come face to face with God, when he has spoken to our heart, when he convicts us of sin or he tells us to deal with something in our life, we find ourselves being corrected by the God of the creator universe and we say to ourselves, I don't want to do that. I've got our own plans and I've got my own dreams. I've got my own aspirations. I don't want to bend my will to yours. And God says, well, we can keep this up all night. Hey, he's stronger. You better submit. Just surrender. There's some things we're just not going to understand about God. We don't understand his ways. You know, why does God, why did God tell Adam and Eve that they could eat of every tree, but there was one that they couldn't? I mean, really, I mean, we think about you, well, that's because of this, and that's because of this, and that's because of this, and that's because of Well, why don't you just let them have all the trees nobody had ever fallen? I don't understand why all the things happen the way they do. Hey, he's God. I'm not. But either way, Adam and Eve should have simply surrendered to his will. And they didn't. And we ought to surrender to his will. Hey, he's stronger, so surrender. Number two, God's brighter than man. God's brighter than man. You ever think about that? And I'm not talking about brighter as in like the sun. I mean, why can't we understand God's ways? I mean, because he's bigger and because he's brighter than man. You know what? We should never get to the place where we think we know more than God. He's brighter than us. We used to use that term years ago. Boy, he's, he's a bright young man, meaning he's smart, he's intelligent, he's got it going. She's a bright young lady. Well, I'll tell you what, she's sharp. She thinks well. She's got a good mind. She's sharp as a tack. Brighter than man. Hey, we, we got to be careful. We don't think we know more than God. <clears throat> don't think that you and I can get cute with God and somehow manipulate him or make a deal with him. We just got back from football camp, and I, I don't know how many of the young men have already come to the place where they have uh, made a decision to give God themselves to full-time service. But I guarantee you at that camp, there's a good group of them. One of the messages that was preached was spot on. He started talking about how people make decisions when they're 10, 11, and 12. And how then as they get older, they say, oh, that was just emotion. Young men, don't allow yourself to fall into that trap. Don't do it. Man, was that good. And I thought to myself that sometimes if we're not careful, we think we know a little more than God does. I mean, we think somehow we can manipulate God. I remember when I was younger and I, I started feeling the call of God to the ministry and, and I started wondering, man, wait a second, God, I'm going to be a school teacher. I'm going to teach uh, computer science and I'm going to be uh, one of those guys that's going to coach football and, 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 and who knows where that will lead me, but I know I can make a difference in a life. I know I can really impact those teenagers. I know that I can really get in on the ground floor and really get into their heart and really get into their lives. And Lord, and he'd say, but I want you to do this. And I'd say, yeah, I know, and I appreciate that, God, but you, I tell you right now, 
You just can't understand how much I can do if I'm at the ground level. If I get into their lives, I can maybe even reach their parents. I could do all kinds of things there. I, I would be with them hour upon hour upon hour, and I'd be able to really get to know these boys and make a difference. Yeah, I know, but I want you to be in the ministry. I want you to give your life to full-time service. I know, but God, you don't understand. I just believe if I would go soul winning a little bit more, I could be able to give more money if I was actually had a good job. And then especially if I became a coach, and maybe if I got even at a different level, I'd really make good money, and then I could really help the cause of Christ. Well, I was trying to bargain with God. You ever bargained with God? He tells you to go out soul winning, and you say, well, I'll pass a few more tracks out at work. You ever bargain with God? I want you to teach Sunday school. Well, God, I'll give a little bit more in the offering plate. I want you to work on a bus route. Well, Lord, I hear you and all, but, you know, that's kind of inconvenient. I, I kind of had other plans. I think instead of working there, though, if you would let me get involved in the music plan program, I could really use my talents for you better. Well, we got all kinds of ways of trying to manipulate God. We do with God what our kids try to do to us. But see, God's brighter than that. He does know what we need more than we know. And the truth is, we shouldn't get upset with God when you really don't have or know all the facts. Ecclesiastes 8 verse 17 says, Then I beheld all the work of God, that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun, because though a man labor to seek it out, yet he shall not find it. Yea, further, though a wise man think to know it, yet shall he not be able to find it. Do you know that your education cannot equip you to understand God and his ways? I don't care how much you've studied. I don't care how much you prepare. You just can't understand God's ways, and neither can I. Why? Because he's brighter than us. He's smarter than you, and he's smarter than me. In Job chapter 5, verse 9, the Bible says, Which doeth great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. Hey, we can't comprehend his might. We can't comprehend his mind. In Job, 30, in Job uh, 37, 23, the Bible says, Touching the Almighty, we cannot find him out. He is excellent in power and in judgment and in plenty of justice. He will not afflict. We're unable to comprehend his person, his being. He is so far above us. In Psalm chapter 40, verse 5, the Bible says, Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Psalm 92, 5, O Lord, how great are thy works, and thy thoughts are very deep. Psalm 104, verse 24. O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. Isaiah 40, verse 28. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. 
How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For God is head and shoulders above us and beyond us in might and mind. We can't comprehend him. He is eternal and infinite. And we are limited and finite. We are nothing in his sight except that he give us grace. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Accept his ways. We need to come to the place where we do not question his competence. We do not question his goodness. Boy, that song that the girls sang was so powerful. I mean, that first verse was, was good, and I, I really liked it, and it was easy to, address, uh, easy to, to take in, and it was easy to, to, to wrap my mind around. But that second verse kind of got to me a little bit because I started seeing myself in the person she was singing about. And I thought, would I be able to say what he said, what she said? Would I be able to accept God's will if he gave me cancer and I was dying? It's easy when you're healthy to say, I trust the Lord. It's easy when you got your wife and your family and your children love you and it seems that all the bills are paid. Oh God, I love you and you love me and we are a perfect family. But I'm going to tell you something. Let the, the, the rug be pulled out from underneath us. Let God allow the devil to take our knees out from underneath us. Let circumstance and situation overwhelm us. Then, it's another story. Now our true self comes out. Our real spirituality rises to the top or is never seen. How we respond then determines or actually reveals true nature and spirituality. We cannot question his competence or goodness. He is creator. And you know the thing about God is that he knows the beginning to the very end. He has all the facts and he can see the finished product. We seldom see past ourselves. We see everything from our perspective. From our viewpoint. But God sees it across the board from start to finish. You take a painter and you would take the time to stand behind him or her as they paint this beautiful picture. You would first see certain lines and specific colors and it would make no sense to you at all. But in their mind they already see the finished product. You might think to yourself, boy, that color does not go with that color and that line doesn't seem to be symmetrical with that line and it just seems to me that this thing's really a, a, just a mess. But the author of the painting sees it from start to finish. They see the mountains and they see the trees. They see that wonderful picture already complete in their mind and to them there's nothing but beauty there. To you and I, it looks like a bunch of mess. It's only until we begin to see it develop 
as more of the pieces and more of the lines and more of the colors fall into place that we truly begin to see what the painter sees. May I say that God is in heaven today and he's the master painter and he sees the beginning to the end and he has a wonderful canvas called life that he's painting and he sees it complete. He allows certain strokes in our life, some of which are painful, some of which are difficult, but all of which are needed to produce the final, complete, and beautiful portrait. God sees the big picture. See, God is smarter. So submit. We already said he's stronger, so surrender. He's smarter, so submit. And finally, why I believe we cannot understand God's ways. First, we said God is bigger than man. Second, we said he's brighter than man. But now, I want you to notice that he's better than man. He's just simply better than man. See, God is perfect and God is holy. See, even God, when he was robed in flesh, walked perfect and walked spotless in this life. He did not succumb to temptation. He didn't find himself yielding to the flesh. And you say, that's because he's God. I'm telling you, God could have sinned in one sense. He understood exactly what you and I are going through. Some have argued and debated, well, God can't sin because whatever God does, it's perfect. Therefore, God could do anything he wants and it would never be sin. But I also want you to understand by the time Jesus Christ got to this earth, he had already outlined what sin was. If he would have violated the scriptures, he would not have been Messiah because he couldn't have fulfilled it. May I say that he fulfilled the scriptures. He fulfilled the law. He kept every one of the jots and tittles. He didn't, yield, he didn't surrender his, to his flesh. He didn't fall to his thoughts. He kept his mind and his body pure and holy and righteous. Boy, he's far, far from me in that regard. Look, if you would, in John chapter 1, verse 29. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. John the Baptist there in the wilderness sees Jesus coming and he makes a statement that is, I mean, packed with a, with, with a picture of the Old Testament. Behold, he says, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. I want you now to turn your Bible, if you would, over to Exodus chapter 12. We understand that the phrasing that John uses is on purpose. And that for every single Jew that he spoke to that day, their mind went right back to Egypt. Their mind went right back to that sacrificial lamb. And they understood immediately and exactly what John was trying to say, at least as far as the character of Jesus was concerned. 
Exodus chapter 12. We find the children of Israel in Egypt here. We have seen the ten plagues, and now we find that the final one will come. And notice he speaks of this lamb. Notice chapter 12, verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, ye shall take it out of the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and of the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. They're to take a lamb now and they're to sacrifice that lamb and put the blood upon the doorposts and lintels there. The destroyer would come through and take the firstborn. But if he saw the blood, he would pass over them. That lamb had to be without spot and blemish. That lamb had to be perfect. When John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Oh, he was pointing back to Exodus. He was saying, This is Jesus. He is the Lamb that will deliver us from our sin and restore our nation again. Verses 12 and 13 of that same chapter say, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. When I see the blood, I will pass through. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Well, there's no coincidence that Jesus is called the Lamb of God. We're reminded of this further in Scripture. We're reminded of His perfection. We're reminded of His sinlessness again. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Here in Hebrews chapter 4, we read in verse 15, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, it's so easy in my mind to look at Jesus and think he's not like I was. I mean, he was God, right? And somehow I get the idea that he doesn't understand what I'm going through. I mean, I've got flesh and I've got to deal with temptation. But yet the Bible tells us distinctly, that he understood what it was to be tempted. He knew what it meant. He was a man. And he had the same desires. And he had the same inside that I have. And yet the Bible tells us it didn't stop there. It tells us in that particular passage. He says. Yet without sin. Jesus never sinned. Jesus never thought a wicked thought. Jesus never 
thought an evil thought. Jesus never even went there in his mind. He was able to overcome. He walked in the Spirit. He was controlled by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. He didn't allow his flesh to rule him. Oh, he was tempted. He understands exactly what we're feeling. He knows what we're dealing with. In all points, tempted like as we are. Yet without sin. I'm going to tell you what, he's better than me. He's a better man than I am. He's perfect. He's sinless. He's everything I'm not. He's everything you're not. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Go to the right in your Bible a little ways. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. He did no sin. It seems to me in the day and age in which we live that folks are trying to convince us that Jesus was just like you and I. That somehow he, he fell. Somehow he was involved in different kinds of sins that he shouldn't. I'm going to tell you something. That is so far removed from truth. Jesus is perfect and he is sinless. He is God, yes. But he was all man, tempted like you and I were. And yet he overcame temptation. He was victorious in it all. We need to be very careful that our feeble attempts of piety, that, we, that somehow we don't believe that our feeble attempts of piety are going to impress him. This idea that somehow we can be something that's going to somehow please God in and of ourselves. And, well, I've done this and I do that. And you don't realize how much I give to the Lord. And you don't know how much I sacrifice on his behalf. I'm going to tell you something. God is not impressed with our so-called faith and religion outside of him. There is nothing good in you. There's nothing good in me, as the Apostle Paul said, except him. No good thing dwelleth in this flesh. I have nothing to offer God but my sin. He gives me everything. He is all in all. Don't believe somehow that your righteousness can measure up to his righteousness. Don't come to the place where you try to compare yourself to Jesus in the sense that you are on his plane. My friend, we ought to humble ourselves. We ought to fall on our face. We ought to find ourselves broken every time we compare ourselves like Isaiah did when we looked it up at God and he said, Whoa, it's me, for I am undone. And that ought to be our cry. Undone without Jesus. Oh, I thank God that I am clean and I am perfect in the sight of a holy God, but that's not because I'm anything. It's because he's everything. Our righteousness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. We all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. You know, if we would get a more humble attitude toward the holy God, it would change our attitude toward mankind. 
God help us to love people that are so-called unlovable in this world. It'll be a wonderful day when you and I come to the place where we give the best to those who we think deserve it the least. When we start showing respect to people who we believe haven't earned it yet. When we start showing kindness and consideration to people who we believe need to just get out there and do something first. I'm not saying that we enable people to do wrong. I'm not saying that we continue to perpetuate sin. I'm not talking about that, but I'm telling you, someone walks in the door of Community Baptist Temple, I don't care what they look like, I don't care what they act like, you need to talk to them and speak to them like you were talking to the President of the United States. And so must I. Treat them with dignity. Recognize yourself as the lowliest of lowly. Care for the things of others. I read about a rich young ruler. We're going to close, but I find that there's a rich young ruler here. Matter of fact, I don't want to think about him. Let's talk about that publican and that sinner. You got that Pharisee over there, and he looks at himself and says, Man, God's lucky to have me. There's that publican, which is a big old sinner. And all he does is cry out and beg for mercy from God. When's the last time you recognized yourself as just a putrid sore in the sight of a holy God? When's the last time we recognized ourselves as the lowest of the lowest, worthy of nothing more than hell itself? I'm not talking about just in verbiage. I mean in conviction of the heart. The Holy Spirit of God moved in and spoke to you and said, you're nothing without God. You fell on your face at an altar. You were so consumed with your own sin that you couldn't even look to the left or right. And you didn't care who was beside you. You didn't care whether the service was done or not. When was the last time the tears flowed because you felt so unworthy? last time I did. We're not going to always understand what God's doing. We can't always know those things because see, God is bigger than man. He is brighter than man and he is better than man. I think it would do us all good to simply make up our mind to believe and to love him as he deserves to be loved. Yes, dig in our Bibles and learn all we can, but when we don't fully comprehend nor understand, we simply obey what God has already revealed. And out of respect, love, and admiration, we look to the God of heaven and we say, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why you're allowing it to happen. But what I do know is that you are God and I'm going to love you and I'm going to stay faithful to you to the end. Father, we come to you.